I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. Um, Yes, last night's meeting was a very interesting meeting. It was a special meeting, Jill. So there was no public comments. There was no other business other than just to review the superintendent's first annual self-evaluation, a reflection basically on, on the work that she has performed over the past year. Right. And so she, the superintendent has been the superintendent of Boston public schools for the past 10 months. And so this review is an annual review. She gives a self-evaluation and then school committee members offer their evaluations and a final assessment, I think, is submitted. And so last night we heard the superintendent's self-evaluation. She covered a number of different topics. We didn't, there was not a ton of detail, but Ross, maybe you can talk about the topics on which she evaluated herself. Yes, great, Jill. So, so first, the superintendent really kind of couched um, her self-reflection or self-evaluation in this, the state improvement plan. Um, and much of the detail that the superintendent went through last night was related to that state improvement plan. And then she organized it around the four standards for superintendents. And we'll sort of just talk through what those are. But the first standard is academics or teaching and learning standard. And the superintendent named a number of things that she's accomplished over the past year, uh, including uh, multi-tiered systems of support, implementing equitable literacy, inclusion, bilingual education, establishing an office of multilingual and multicultural education, OMME, and a strategic plan for that office, increasing opportunities for early college. And so the superintendent noted that there are now about 700 plus students enrolled in early college programs in Boston Public Schools. Also, career technical education expansion, student support and youth opportunity dropout efforts, and addressing chronic absenteeism across a district. So those are, so there's a, I mean, that's a wide swath of things. And, um, if we can summarize it correctly, the superintendent was basically saying, here are the things that I focused my team on over the course of the year. She rated herself sort of highly, not not extremely highly, but highly in all of these areas and, you know, kind of talked about how she she and her team had made advances and progress in each one of these areas over the past year. That's correct, Jill. And and um, again, like there's a li- th- this was a list of things. Right. So it was there wasn't really measures of like here's what it happened, here's what it was like before, and here's what it's like now. There was no measures. There was no you know here's where we are in implementation. I mean, if we just take inclusion for example, um, we know that inclusive practices across Boston public schools have not been implemented. That they've there was a few schools that were working on inclusion. Um, inclusive practices this year in a cohort. And then the superintendent alluded to uh, basically all schools beginning in 20, 2025, 2024, 2025 would be implementing inclusive practices in their schools. So if you just take a category like inclusion, um, there is an absolute um, uh, continuum of implementation. Um, and the superintendent last night sort of did a quick summary of saying we've We've done this. We've implemented inclusion, uh, but really no measure, no standard for how it's been implemented or where it's been implemented. The superintendent went on, though, Jill, to, to you know, the next uh, general um, category is operations. Um, and the superintendent talked about what she's been doing with operations in the district. And, and that includes having a new team structure around deputies, 
Um, so adding deputies, I think, to a number of departments. Uh, having a new structure around a regional model, so breaking the district into smaller chunks of regionality uh, where, where schools are grouped by what region they're in. Um, facilities planning, this was a big one, Jill, right? So the superintendent announced that they would have a audit of the facilities done by the end of the summer and uh, a, a master facilities plan that includes mergers, closures, joinings, or whatever we're going to call them, um, sometime coming e- either in December or January of the upcoming year. The superintendent talked about transportation and how they are they feel very, very good that transportation has been addressed. The concerns about transportation have been addressed. And um, that includes, you know, hiring for the, more staff um, for both uh, for bus drivers, but also bus monitors on each of the buses. So they, the superintendent feels very, very strongly that transportation is going to go very well in September. That's going to be interesting because that's one, I mean, they're, they, they actually actually did give some measures there in terms of the number of staff that's been hired and um, how some of the technology uh, is being solved for on the buses to help them um, manage things better. But I mean, that one is kind of it should show up in the details. Yeah, I mean, there's there's real data on this one, right? Right, right. This is just basically on time performance and the number of no shows of buses. And so, uh, we did hear. You recall last summer uh, we heard uh, from then acting superintendent Drew Eccleson that this past this fall would be the best transportation year we've ever had in BPS. It was very clearly stated. Um, it was not. Uh, there was <laughs> there was a lot of problems um, for a number of months. Uh, but we do hear it again that the superintendent saying this is going to be a really, you know, the transportation has been solved for and, and that this should be a, a successful fall for transportation. So we'll we'll be able to measure that and look at that closely uh, come September. We also heard the superintendent talk about um, addressing emergency management um, through the Office of School Safety and Planning, new communication systems, and uh, really a big deal here, which is labor contracts. I think they've settled over 20 labor contracts in the in this in the school system. Um and uh, then, and they'll have to start those all again uh, because a lot of those were retroactive contracts and were settled for this past year. But we'll, the, all those negotiations will begin uh, again very shortly. A next uh, standard is around family community engagement, and the superintendent talked about how she's restructured um, and elevated the a new office of equity, family, and community advancement. She is working really hard on implementing school site council. Um, Changes so that all school site council members these are school uh, these are school based decision making bodies at every school will have training around how to have school based management. She announced uh, that she's that they have a new BPS family helpline. They're expanding parent mentoring um, and, and parent mentorship, and a new uh, announcement last night again about a, a bet, about a business partnership opportunity where the superintendent is going to is basically saying we're going to have an opportunity for a really well orchestrated business partnership with Boston Public Schools in in the coming year. And then Jill, the superintendent announced a number of new positions um, that have been implemented, including operational leaders, family engagement specialists, equity specialists, district social workers, special education uh, assistant director, human capital liaisons, equitable literacy coaches, accelerated uh, improvement and inquiry managers, supervisors of attendance, multilingual compliance and academic supports, and restorative justice specialists um, have all been added to the school system. So as I listen to the superintendent talk about all of these different things, which which is a very wide swath of things, and you you think about she's been in her position for 10 months, it felt like there was a lot of cleaning up to do. Did it 
feel like that to you? There's a lot of things to like knock down and tackle and add. And, and particularly, um, there, it was kind of all this stuff got done. We don't know what was there before. So there, there aren't a lot of things to help us understand, okay, what got fixed and solved versus what got added. Um, and, you know, this comes up later as, as the school committee members start to ask questions, but there were no measures or metrics that she associated with each one of these things that she said she was doing well on or that her team was doing well on. And so um, I'm wondering how the school committee members will actually assess you know, her self-evaluation. That's right, Jill. And we'll see that in the coming weeks where the school committee members each will write their own evaluation of the superintendent. Um, those will be shared publicly, I believe. And uh, at the next school committee meeting, August 30th, uh, there will be a evaluation. The evaluation of the superintendent will be submitted. So we'll see how school committee members make sense of what the superintendent, the list the superintendent presented last night. But I, I totally agree with you, Jill. Like th- this, this no connection to data or metrics is really important. And how schools are experiencing the list of things, how parents are experiencing and guardians are experiencing the list of things, and most importantly, how our students are benefiting from this list of things. Um, that the superintendent outlined last night. We heard very little about students. We heard a lot about adults, very little about students. So as the meeting moved along then, school committee members posed a number of questions. The key themes within their questions were uh, metrics and measures, and also how do all of these things that have been listed uh, tie together into some sort of theory of action or operating plan for the district uh, moving forward? And what is the impact of these um, particular advances um, on outcomes for kids, right? And so there was the right. school committee members were trying to tie it back to family and students. Um, their questions seemed to express what maybe was most top of mind for school committee members, either through conversations that they've been having out in the field or things that they think are most pressing for the district. And then, Jill, the meeting moved on a bit more into a question and answer period between school committee members and the superintendent around the self-evaluation. Um, and the superintendent talked about uh, a week that the district leadership team spent over at Harvard as part of a, a, a program called PELP. It's a, it's a professional development opportunity at the Harvard Business School where school districts, major school districts, send teams together to work with staff and professors at Harvard um, on a problem of practice. And the superintendent talked about the week uh, this week and, and how she had more time to think deeply about where the district needs to go in terms of its relationships with caregivers and families in Boston. And that it's really important for her and the district to move from family involvement to true engagement of families. In fact, many school committee members reinforced this goal uh, to move in the direction of true engagement, which it seemed like kind of comprehensively no one thinks the district is at now, um, more just interfacing rather than um, true engagement, um, including Vice Chair O'Neill, who said this. This is more common. I really hope when the facilities plan comes out, we see equal emphasis on parent and school community involvement. Mm-hmm. And when I've thought about the past couple of years, we have been top down in some of our decisions. We are saying to a school, you are moving here, you are doing this, and then communities react, you're merging, et cetera. And then I thought when we have done school-based decision-making and the example I think that is best is we have said, we want high schools to expand to seven to 12 versus nine to 12, but not all of them. You tell us high schools, which one want to expand. 
And a number of school communities raised their hand and said, we'd like to do it. Mm -hmm. And when I think about, you know, potential upcoming moves or mergers, I think we're much better if we consider saying to communities, what do you think? So, so Jill, I thought this was, this was interesting. Um, you know, we've heard a number of examples at public comment this past year about this issue uh, around, do, have we asked schools what they think before uh, we make a major policy decision uh, for their school? We've heard it around the Philbrick and the Sumner mergers. We heard it from the PA Shaw and the Taylor communities. Uh, we've heard it from, uh, most recently, from the O'Brien school. Uh, as they were told they're moving to West Roxbury. And so I think there's just a number of examples of this. And um, this is not a new idea to ask school communities what they think before you make a major policy decision on their school. Not a new idea, uh, but a reminder uh, that, that that should be done in these top-down decisions uh, don't work very well for school communities. Right. One to go back to. Like, it was sort of a um, a reflection on how the district has been operating over the past couple of years where, you know, families were feeling like they were just dealt a decision as opposed to being included in the decision. And it does sound like that is a key initiative of both the superintendent and the school committee to see um, parents and families and caregivers and students be be more integrated into the decision-making process. Yeah, we'll see if it plays out in in the meetings as we go forward this year. Jill, also Vice Chair O'Neill, uh, asked about equitable literacy and whether or not the district's focus in this area will improve student outcomes and close achievement gaps. And the superintendent responds by saying they got to deal with the, the achievement gap before kids get to uh, BPS and really deal with it in pre-K and uh, starting with kids who are age three. One of the best ways to not, you know, to close a gap is not to create one. So this goes all the way back to early childhood in the mixed delivery and making sure, you know, parents as first teachers you know, in, in, in the importance of that three-year-old, four-year-old, um, you know, uh, the calibration we're doing within the city and within our, our classrooms um, and having that high quality instruction happening right from the very first experience of the student set, setting foot. Right. It's such an interesting take, Ross. Uh, you know, she she took this opportunity, the superintendent took this opportunity to tie the achievement gap all the way back to essentially childbirth and parenting. And, you know, suggesting, it suggested to me that the mayor has a role here then, that, you know, we are, it, it sounded like the superintendent was suggesting that perhaps we're delivering kids into the district who are already behind, that we're creating an achievement gap earlier on than we've recognized in the past, and that there's some work to do in seeding um, the things for students that they need and for, for families what they need before, before anyone moves into the public school system. And Jill, this is not a new idea, you know, but Boston Basics has been around for quite a number of years um, that does really tremendous work with, uh, with early literacy and um, a lot around uh, caregiver and, student, and child relationships and, and literacy development. Um, Boston used to have a lot of programs at schools for early childhood and these programs, I'm not sure if they still do have these programs going on in, in, in schools where before a child comes to BPS, um, they do lap time. They do fun stuff with their caregivers in schools. Um, and of course, Jill, we've been hearing about K-1 and K-0 and expansion of these programs for years. Um, um, and it is time that that we have a, a, a really coherent program. And, and this will, as you note, um, falls to the mayor to help make this happen. 
Right, because because you're you're talking about offerings, and absolutely there have been offerings and theorizing and implementations and and some you know opportunity for some kids. But the the statement that the superintendent is making is, look, it, you know that the the best way to cancel out this achievement gap is to not let it happen. And you know, are we really as a city arming? caregivers and parents and community members with what they need in order to make sure that all children are fortified um, before they enter the public school system. And if they're not, you know, what are we going to do to change? And this has always been the chair's kind of, um, she she articulates these goals often. What are we going to do to shift early elementary and elementary school um, implementations in the direction of making sure that every child has what they need to have the same sorts of outcomes. It's an important topic, Jill. It's another big piece of work that I think uh, this is not only the school system, but as you noted, the mayor and, and the entire city needs to do this work together. Uh, Jill, Dr. Stephen Alkins uh, also asked directly to the superintendent for a matrix, really a theory of action. And we just talked about a list of all the things, right? And, and I think Dr. Alkins is saying, hey, can you give us a guide to help uh, school committee members and the public understand how all of the things that the superintendent says have been teed up, right? Including requirements from the SIP and recommendations from the Council, Council for Great City Schools reports in the past 10 months. How do they come together to improve outcomes for our students? you know, to think about in conversations as we as we call you or do anything that we need to do to get more information from you over these next few weeks is for me thinking of sort of like a matrix of connectivity around like your theory of action, right? Mm-hmm. And I can see it sort of connecting to mm-hmm. the requirements of the SIP, the requirements of, you know, alignment with the Council of Great City Schools, but also then the alignment of with us as a school committee. And then the committee chair, Jerry Robinson, brings the discussion firmly back to reality by asking the superintendent to reflect on where the district is perceived to be in reality versus all of the good work that the superintendent talks about being able to get done over the past 10 months. And how does what has been done continue to drive the district towards better performance and better outcomes for its students? Here's the chair. How do schools see themselves holding themselves accountable for this? Because it's not been unknown for us that we've got schools that are failing and people walk in those schools every day and walk out and those schools still fail. What is that sort of personal urgency or, or change? I know we're investing more in professional development. Some of it is mandatory, but what other ways are schools themselves sort of taking their small piece of this and recognizing if we don't have it at 120 schools, we're not going to have it in a district. And the superintendent responds by asking the school committee to look at the realities of what the district has been through over the past several years. Turning the ship will be slow and methodical work. I think staying with the, staying with the, the, like the change and the transformation that we're pushing that for leaders is one of the best things we can do to get traction. When we start making all kinds of, well, we tried this for two years and it didn't work. We're going to switch to this or a new superintendent comes in. We're going to abandon all this and we're going to switch to this. That's what has happened. And so for the leaders to actually have multiple years where they can focus and refocus on the same things and keep traction matters. Right. So, 
you know, I think it's a good point, right? The look back is important. It has been sort of a tumultuous um, time. We've had many superintendents over not so many years. Um, the district has changed and shifted quite a bit. The superintendent also referenced the pandemic and, you know, how we're now past it. But that that was certainly created a rocky playing field for a little while. So, you know, it's it makes sense, right, Ross, that, you know, there is it is important to do a look back and to understand that the district is shifting away from um, many different transitions over the past several years. And, you know, additive was the pandemic to some degree. And so um, she's really trying to move the district out of that tumultuous kind of nature and, and back into something that is more steady, or that seemed to be what she was implying. The one thing that didn't get discussed very deeply last night was the last page of the superintendent's self-assessment. We'll post the self-assessment on our summary, but she talks about three areas for improvement. So these are things that she wants to work on more deeply. Right, Jill. So, so there's a 20-page self-assessment that was reviewed last night at the school committee. 19 of those pages were a look back on all the things that um, happened in the school system that were positive. And then on the 20th page is a look ahead around areas for continued growth. And uh, let me just talk about those for a moment. But typically in a self-assessment, Jill, you would use it as a time to set goals for the upcoming year. And I believe this is what um, the superintendent was intending to do. Uh, But again, remember, we talked about this previously. Goals should be smart, right? Specific, measurable, attainable goals. We should be able to measure if you have been successful in, in reaching that goal. So let me just read the first um, area for continued growth, the superintendent noted. Developing a vision beyond family and community's involvement to one of authentic family and community engagement. Um, it seems like, Jill, that those, that's something that came out of the Harvard PELP conference um, it seems like a, a logical thing to do to move from involvement to authentic engagement. I would love to know what that means, like in tactics or in like measurability, like how does how how are we doing that um, and how are we ensuring that it happens? So what does the implementation look like? The superintendent also noted in, in her conversation last night that at, at PELP at this Harvard conference, it was discussed like it's easy to come up with um, a theory or a vision, or, or but it's much it's much more difficult to actually implement that and to see it in action in schools. And I would argue this is one of those that's easy to state and hard to implement. The next area of continued growth, the superintendent noted, is uh, continuing to and evolving a communication strategy and plan that is proactive, not reactive, inclusive of and for all stakeholders, and both effective and dynamic. Again, on the surface level, I think I can agree. To, like we could all agree that those are all things that make sense, like we should have good communication, Um, no measures, no tactics, no information about what is the problem, how is it being addressed, and and how will we measure if if it's gotten better. So no baseline data, no no clear goals, no measures. And Jill, the the last one is working to develop strong working partnerships with the school committee, city council, the mayor, city agencies, state agencies, and the Boston business post-secondary and community-based and nonprofit partners to maximize resources and opportunities across BPS priority areas. I mean, that's such a wide swath of things, right? But for sure, there was discussion last night about how partners and the business community and, you know, kind of anyone who wanted to peer in at all had felt like they were being shut out for several years now. And so she's Well, Jill, look, it, it, it sounds like an admirable goal. I think if I understand it correctly there's a lot in there a lot of commas and 
I just don't understand like how you measure that or how the school committees have ha, can understand what the superintendent's goal actually is or how they can hold her accountable. So I would really encourage the school committee members here to push for clarity, push for measures. I, I feel like we've talked about this in years past. Like you got to have clear goals, measurable goals for clarity um, and that people can be held accountable to. Well, also tie it, tie it to a plan, right? Like if you're going to re-engage all of those people, then it, explain how it relates to all of the initiatives that you have underway. And, you know, going back to Dr. Elkin's point, you know, how does how does reaching out and opening back up to the community integrate with a plan that, that you know, they would like to see that ties to student achievement and student outcomes? So, it, you know, it's it's great that, you know, doors are now reopening to the community, but the community needs to know like why and how and who and, you know, over what period of time and what real expectations would be, I think, in order to drive engagement. Jill, overall, last night in this in this presentation and in these three um, areas of development, we heard a lot about adults. We heard a whole lot about um, what adults will be doing, what um, how adults will be interacting with one another or, or the idea to have adults interact better with one another. Um, and uh, we heard very little about students. And I would encourage the school committee to push on this. Like we should be hearing more about student data, about student achievement. That is the really purpose of a school system is to um, support students in achieving uh, their life goals and college and career success. And we heard nothing, no data presented um, from the superintendent about any of that, about how our students are doing, how are we ensuring they're prepared for college and career. None of that was mentioned. Uh, we also heard a lot about additive positions, no conversation about sustainability. We know coming up is going to be a couple of hard years uh, with some of the financial res- the student enrollment going down and financial resources going away from the federal government. Uh, we heard nothing about how all of these positions and new offices will be sustained over time. Um, and we, and Jill, like ultimately, we heard very little theory of action here. We heard a whole list, a whole lot of things, a menu um, without understanding how it will be implemented in each school, in each classroom, and how our students will be experiencing all of these efforts amongst adults. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.